Live from the Export Beer Garden Studios, you're listening to the BYC. In today's podcast, we'll be previewing the T20 series about to begin with the English, as well as seeing how the lads are faring in the New Zealand A Australia A competition. And because we are deadly serious when it comes to our cricket, we'll also be putting together the hottest players 11, given Dylan Cleaver's previous declaration that we don't seem to be selecting handsome men anymore. But also a special bonus today, a special interview with the new CEO of New Zealand Cricket, Scott Weenink, and here's just a little taste of what a good bastard he is. My obscure cricketer of the 90s is a man called Scott Weenink. Ah, oh, yes. Do you know him? Um, he's now heavily involved in the Players Association. He's the chairman of the Players Association, yep. and he got one of the biggest ringing endorsements from anyone, from a friend of mine who said he's one of those rare individuals who is a good bastard in the world of corporate finance. So, I've, heard, I've heard the same. Yeah. I've heard the same. Well, Scott Weening is a man of many talents, actually. Apparently super smart, went to Oxford, went to Wolfson College in Oxford. Uh, he was got an Oxford blue for both rugby and cricket. He played 12 games of first-class cricket, a couple of seasons in Wellington, uh, seven list A games, modest success, uh, 72 not out, but probably the bulk of his runs coming in that one innings. I think he averaged about 13 or 14 in first-class cricket. Took 10 wickets with some off-breaks. Uh, but, yeah, has gone on to have – and he may have been – I think he was a stalwart for East, the club in Wellington, which is just wins – nearly every year or every second year, just the dominant cricket club in Wellington. Uh, but, yeah, he's gone on to big things in the uh, – he's a law graduate in the world of corporate finance, um, very smart guy, uh, but one that apparently doesn't need to feel like he needs to be heard all the time. So very modest, down-to-earth, and a good cricketer to boot. Ah, oh, good man to have on your board then. Exactly. And be chairman of the board, and, and indeed. He, he's a real good bugger. I had the privilege of his company at the uh, – for for a little bit, we had lunch actually at the uh, Boxing Day Test in Melbourne, and uh, he, he's a terrific fella and a very unassuming kind of low key dude, but actually is always in the pocket when lots of interesting things go on, and is probably an, a chief instigator from behind the scenes, which uh, can certainly relate to. I think yeah. he sold yellow pages for an extraordinary like oh, he, he Jesus was, Christ. Okay, he deserves a knighthood. Yeah, so he was <laughs> the guy that uh, when Telecom was selling off yellow pages, managed to convince some private equity firm to pay. <laughs> Pay millions upon millions for a service that would be soon rendered obsolete. <laughs> uh, he's also got a lot of hang, <coughs> hangman friends as well, including Stephen Mather and uh, D. Alvatore. That, that is true. He, he also, he's got, a, 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 there's a weird thing about him where he played Oxford versus Cambridge at cricket and I think Oxford versus Cambridge at rugby, which is pretty, which is a pretty cool thing to have done. Yeah, and he might have toured Pakistan with Oxford. So he's got, yeah, he's got a lot going on. Interesting bloke. We should get him on the show. Yeah, you did right. What a good bastard he is, Jason. And that was a – we had a great chat with him, actually, probably 10, 15-minute chat with him about, you know, what he can expect in his new role. And, um, yeah, I think we're, we're excited, aren't we? Yeah. Well, he's very articulate and, he, and he's got a sense of humour. And, uh, you know, that's important this day and age, uh, Paul Ford. He does. And he's, he's articulate and he's smart and he's quite normal. And uh, I can vouch for him – it's very good company too. I, I had a great afternoon with him and a few uh, likely characters that get mentioned in the interview uh, during the Boxing Day test actually at Melbourne where New Zealand was getting absolutely flogged 
And so we went off for an early lunch at the pub and had a couple of quiet beers. And they were only quiet beers. And he's, he's great company, Scott. So you, he'll be you, fantastic in that role. Are you suggesting, Paul Ford, that the person that was in the role previously was not normal? <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, actually. Boy, I, I mean, that's pretty I, I inflammatory, think, mate. I think it's fair to say Scott Winnett would probably swear a bit less than David White. That would be my only observation um, based on actual facts that I that I know. Right, yeah. Well, listen, fellas, uh, the T20 series against the English starting this week. Uh, we've kind of had a little chat about that. Uh, what are your expectations, Dylan Cleaver? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a great mystery, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's the first time this group of players has been assembled together for a while. Um, obviously a lot of comings and goings. They had the trip to the UAE, which I think were unanimous in uh, declaring it a completely underwhelming series. And yeah, I mean, we didn't get very aroused by that, did visual we, to be experience. fair. So this will be a hell of a lot better to watch, I'm assuming. It, it'll feel a little bit more high stakes. Um, the first ones that have, you know, a, a venue they don't go to that often. So, like, it's a bit of a coin flip, but... I'm going to say New Zealand to just fall on the wrong side. Right, okay. Uh, Paul Ford, uh, a couple of wins in the warm-up games there, mate. Do we read too much into that? No, it's hard to really. And, you know, I, I think it was uh, Crick Info that said um, the New Zealand squad was assembling Avengers style from myriad corners of the cricketing universe. And it does feel a little bit like that. We've had guys playing in the 100. We've had guys winning and losing in the UAE. We've had got guys coming and going from paternity. We've got... Trent Bolt sort of playing the ODIs, but not the T20s. We've got Kyle Jamison coming back from injury. It's, it's a bit all over the show, and it does feel like the T20s are a bit of a settler before the the serious stuff, which is really those the four um, one-dayers, which are going to lead us into the in, into the World Cup in India and, and literally playing England in that first match at Ahmedabad, I think it is. Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, it, it's, it'll be kind of interesting. I think the first game's sort of 5 a.m. Thursday morning, so, you know, not not bad over the over the cornflakes. Um, and, and as we mentioned last year, you know, I think England are going to be interesting, particularly this guy, Gus Atkinson, um, and also um, the, the guy that we don't know too much about, I think is Bryden Cass. So, yeah, a couple of guys that are going to be worth watching from an English point of view too. Uh, from a New Zealand point of view, actually, Dylan Cleaver, Nisham on paternity leave, yeah. uh, which is a shame because he's in good nick, isn't he? Yeah, I think he played a match-winning hand in the final of the 100, which is... I've been watching a bit of the hundred. It's, I wouldn't say it's growing on me, but it seems to have established a place for itself in the English game. Still, completely bizarre that it's a format that no one else plays anywhere. Yes, but uh, nevertheless, a bunch of New Zealanders did pretty well in that. <laughs> Finn Allen finished pretty strongly, and Jimmy Neesham, as I said, played a, a winning hand. So, yeah, I mean, uh, this is something to look forward to. It feels. You know, there's a little bit more sun in the air in New Zealand at the moment as oh, well. How there's, good, eh, boys? How good? A bit of sunshine. The mercury's rising just a little bit. It yes. kind of feels like a um, an entree, a cricketing entree <laughs> for the summer feast ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as loath as I am to say T20 is meaningful cricket, um, I've got to say that I'm I'm looking forward to the, to the clash against the uh, cock-a-hoop English. Uh, where, where do you see us going and how do you see us going, Paul Ford? Interesting does not mean meaningful, Jason. I think that's probably the distinction that you're making there, and it's, yes. it's, it's fair. Um, yeah, look, I think I think if we were if we had our absolute top dogs there with uh, Williamson and Bolton and and, um, and 
in there, then I reckon we'd be good to go. But yeah, it's still got that feel of being a little bit uh, under strength, but but much stronger than we were in the UAE. So yeah, look, I think England should should pip us, but um, you know, England England have got a pretty experimental team um, in parts as well, particularly around their their bowling attack. The interesting thing is going to be who does slot into maybe that number three spot. So kind of a duel there potentially between maybe Seifert and Chapman. Um, who would you prefer? I probably I feel like they're going to give it to Chapman. It, yeah. it just seems to be that they've sort of been giving him a few more opportunities. Um, yeah, and then it'll be interesting to see what they do with Rich and Ravindra. We talked last week about them sort of not being quite sure whether whether he was an Arthur or a Martha in terms of a, a batter or a bowler. So uh, you know, it's probably between him and it would have been Nisham, I think, but maybe McConkie now. Um, and then you've got the at, at the um, speedster end of things, we've got the luxury of having Lockie Ferguson and Adam Milne there. Um, in the absence of Trent Bolt. So, yeah, look, I think we're going to go. We're going to be very competitive. I think it should be a tight series. It always seems to be against the Poms. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I'll be up early it's, to it's, watch these ones. It did seem interesting that they replaced Nisham with Cole McConkie, which it's kind a of weird mean, swap, isn't it? Kind of means now that they've got Ratchin Ravindra, uh, Mitchell Santner, McConkie, and even uh, I know Isha is more of a specialist spinner, but that's a lot of spin bowling options at your disposal in England. And in the first game in, in the north of England, up at Chester La Street, which is, just my geography here, is, it's just out of Newcastle, I think. So you wonder how much of a role spin's going to play, but they're, they're very heavy in the spin department. Yes. Well, let's look at the New Zealand A versus Australia uh, uh, A series. Scott Kugeline, five-wicket bag. You know, this is this is a, an interesting one. Um and we were talking about it earlier, Dylan, you know, just what is the philosophy of New Zealand cricket regarding the, the, the A side, whether they take some risks and put some, you know, take a gamble and put some unknown players in the equation uh, or whether they literally just go for their next best players or who they, they see as their next best players. There's not much for us to learn, Paul Ford, about Scott Kugeline. We kind of know what he does and doesn't do. No, that is absolutely correct, Jace. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm not quite sure, and I'm sure. It, I mean, it's a very interesting observation that Dylan made, and it feels like we haven't quite got those, you know, those next cabs off the rank. I was wondering where Doug Bracewell was. Not that I'm sort of, you know, if, if we're going to pick our next um, best lot of players, it does feel like he should be in there. I also question where Neil Wagner was at. You know, I know he's been coming back from injury, but it does feel like the absolute dearth of Test cricket um, over the over the next kind of six to 12 months that maybe throwing him into the mix of a series like this wouldn't have been the dumbest thing in the world. Um, it, it, perhaps perhaps it's sort of been a little bit, um, or, or maybe this, the UAE series has kind of run interference a little bit here because we've had, a, I guess, a swathe of players head over there to play short ball cricket literally at the same time as we've got these, this Red Bull series happening um, against Australia, eh? Um, so we're kind of almost into some of the third-tier players, perhaps. Yeah, well, Doug Bracewell's got a contract, hasn't he, this year with Essex? For the county championship, so maybe that um, I don't know if that's finished. If it was just for the first bit of the first class season or not, so maybe that sort of undercut his chances of playing for this New Zealand A. And obviously, you're going to pick a paying contract versus a per diems contract as you'll be getting for New Zealand A in in South Mackay, wherever that is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about Wagner actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a very good question. 
Uh, three ducks in a row in the first dig, Abbas, Kelly and Clarkson, but pitch flattening out nicely and Solia, Kelly and Bruce all in the runs. Um, I think one of the players that I would like to see, you know, in the test squad potentially is Tom Bruce. And he's got a pretty good record. He's pretty solid. What do you think? His first-class record is excellent Yeah, by New Zealand standards. It's close to averaging 50. He is 32. Yeah. He got given a few shots in white ball cricket, and perhaps they felt from watching that that his game wasn't tailored for the next level up. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure here. It's just yes. wild speculation. But, yeah, when you look at his numbers in first-class cricket, particularly over the last couple of years, you do think that guy must be very close. But then again, you look at the New Zealand eleven, and who, who's he going to get a run in yes. place of? I mean, Will Young can't even get a run, and he's been good for years as well. I yeah, mean, yeah. Mitchell's coming and gone great guns. The, Henry Nichols, they're just not going to drop. It doesn't matter what happens. So Much to your chagrin. Um, so when a, when a player's 32, you know, I mean, how many years do you see them having left in their career, Paul Ford? Five? One. What? So you say 33 and call it. Yeah, look, I, I joking aside, like I think someone like Tom Bruce, it feels like he's just had the misfortune of timing his, um, you know, pretty stellar, first-class career with Central Districts at the same time as Ross Taylor and um, Kane Williamson and, and, and blokes like that have been around, and he just hasn't really got his, been given a been given a shot. Other players have been given a go, um, and, and and it feels like it's kind of passed him by. And he's got that weird – he's in the, got that weird record where he's got a really, really good first-class record and a very good T20 record, and he's been given, um, you know, 15, 16, 17, whatever it is, T20 internationals for New Zealand – but never been given the chance of a, of of a, of, um, of being part of the test um, side. So, yeah, it's, it's it feels like just a bit. It's one of those things, just a little bit unfortunate, I think. Yeah, I, I would like them to see them taking more risks in in that program because I don't think you've got anything to lose. I mean, if you lose a, a New Zealand A series, you know, an A series, is, is it that big a deal if you gain something out of it? No, you know absolutely, what I mean? Absolutely not. And that's why I think they've just got the balance slightly wrong. They've got too many older players. Uh, young one, uh, Muabas, duck in the first innings. He's come back. He's approaching 50 in the second innings as, as we speak. So, I mean, it's that type of player <laughs> I would have liked to have seen just a couple more of and, and less of the older guys. But having said that, I mean, yeah, as, as we mentioned, Tom Bruce, he's there for leadership. He's scored a 50 in the second innings. Sean Solia, who I think is nudging 30 as well. He got 90-odd. Nick Kelly's around 30 as well. He got a few runs in the second innings, 43. So maybe, I think Paul might have mentioned it last week, tough place to tour Australia. Australia have put out a very good A team. Perhaps this is one where they looked at it and said, we need guys that have played a lot of cricket. Yeah, a bit of experience. Um, we kind of covered this off with Nisham uh, wins the 100 playing for the Invincibles, a record-breaking six-wicket partnership with Tom Curran, 127 off 64 balls. Yeah, and I mean, they were, for all money, at the halftime break there, it looked like uh, they were not going to win. Um as I'm testing my memory here. 34 for five. Yeah, and they were playing the Manchester Originals, I believe, was it? And Devin Conway, Finn Allen, both scored Big runs for Manchester. Looked like they had it in the bag until 
Jimmy Niche. Yes. Pushed go. Man for the big occasion. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, he's still got a lot to offer cricket, I reckon. He's, um, it's, he's had a weird career, Jimmy Niche and Paul Ford, in a way. It's, it's interesting you say that. I, 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 when I saw that he was um, going to have a baby, I was like, oh, did he get married? And I was trying to remember, and there was an old North and South article that I that I kept from um, a, a few months back, maybe a year ago, actually, and it talked about uh, how he was getting married to um, the netballer. I think it was, was it Alex... Alex McLeod Smith or something. And anyway, so they did get married. It was all sort of running. COVID, COVID ran a lot of interference on their wedding date. That that happened. Um, and yeah, so yeah, paternity and all of that kind of thing. But in that interview, he said that cricket was just a minor part of his life. Um, you know, he had a lot of things on the go. And, you know, I think that's the thing with, with Jimmy Nishima. It feels like he's got a few more dimensions than some of the cricketers rather than just being a sort of guy that goes out and nets from nine till five. Um yeah, like anyone that's got a a, a dog called Charles Bar- Charles Barclay, I certainly look forward to seeing what the name of his uh, new sprog is once it emerges. Hopefully, in the next few days, safe and well. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a character, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he is. And he's yeah. quite a witty guy as well. He's quite a funny uh, fella. So you know, I like that in in our sportsman. Um, now, the first red card in cricket, fellas. How do we feel about this pull forward? Do you love it or do you hate it? I hate it. Oh. I think it's. I think it's tedious. I, I don't know. I watched it. I watched the video of it happening, and yeah. So basically, this was um, in the Caribbean Premier League, and you had the Trinbago Knight Riders who were forced to field with ten players, only two outside the thirty-yard circle for the final over of their CPL match. So they were bowling against St Kitts and Nevis because their over rate was slow. So, you know, um, I heard Gideon Haig say it's this overwhelming obsession with. Um, the quantity of cricket rather than the quality of the cricket. And, you, you know, the rule that they breached was that the 17th over has to be completed within 72 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, yeah, look, I, I think that it would be great for the umpires to have this kind of thing up their sleeve, which they say, you guys are dicking around. I'm giving you a bit of a warning. You better hurry up. But no, instead, it's just this sort of Silly red card, which we haven't actually seen in cricket, I think, since Billy Bowden did it in the first ever T20 International <laughs> in the Moustache and Perm game, which was obviously a joke, but keeps getting referenced as sort of the actual first red card in cricket. But hang on, Paul, we spent a lot of last summer bitching and moaning about over eights. And I personally haven't feel that we do not, as a paying customer, when you walk through that gate of the first morning of a test, you should expect to see 90 overs bowled on that day. I don't mind them actually trying something out. If it works, good. If it doesn't, too bad. We'll try something else. But I do think there actually needs to be a harsher penal code for people who transgress this very basic cricketing commitment just to get through Uh, your bloody overs. And, you know, from an umpire's perspective, it's massively frustrating when, you know, you, you, you don't really have the power to change. I was forever talking to captains on the field saying, you guys need to move this along. You're way behind the rate. And quite frankly, it... it, it they laughed at you. Yeah, well, they kind of did. It was like, yeah, whatever, um, you know, and they just carry on. It would be good to give the umpires something to work with and go, well, like, well, here's the thing, fellas, you do this or it's a red card. And then maybe you might see some change. That's right, and I think, and, and to be fair, I agree with the the, the premise. It's, it's given the umpires the the some power, I guess. And um, what I'm not clear on is how much chatter happened before there was a red card. So I, so I guess that's a little bit of a um, 
you know, mea culpa from me, that might, that might be, that might sway my decision-making on that. The other important thing to note is that it's not just one way as well. The batting side um, can also be penalised. A five-run penalty penalty can be given in the instance of any sort of time-wasting, and, and that is following, a, there's only following one warning from the umpires. So, yeah, look, I, I think the intent is good. I just think there needs to be a little bit of subjectivity involved in it because if the quality of the cricket and if the match is sort of really, really tense and full on or kind of meandering along and it doesn't really matter, um, you know, who who cares? I think that if it's being very, very clearly used as a tactic to disrupt the opposition team, you know, say when England are going on a tear and blazing away in a test match against Australia and the, then the Aussies start dicking around and slowing down the overrates, that's when I think that the umpires need to be able to sort of um, crack down on that kind of behaviour for sure. Absolutely. Hey, right now let's move along to one of your favourite uh, things on the BYC, Paul Ford's News or Ruse. Yeah, three bits of uh, news here, boys. And I'm fired up wrong. for this one, fellas. I'm fired up. <laughs> okay, there's been shenanigans going on here. What, what like, do you mean? You've got a big grin on your face. I know something's funny what, happened. What? There'll be something going on. There'll be something going on. There'll be something wrong with one of these things, or uh, the Oi Hoy Trophy will maybe make its way back over the bridge to Jason Hoyt's house in the western suburbs of uh, of Auckland, or will it be staying in the North Shore with all the South Africans? Uh, n- number one, reports of former Zimbabwe cricket captain Heath Streak's death have been proven to be widely exaggerated. It was reported by media outlets around the world that the 51-year-old who has cancer had died. Even his former teammate Henry Alonga posted a Twitter tribute to Streak, saying he'd crossed to the other side, followed uh, by another message a day later, which said, uh, just confirming that rumours of the demise of Heath Streak have been greatly exaggerated. I just heard from him. The third umpire has called him back, and he is very much alive, Alonga wrote. Streak was absolutely fuming. It's a total rumour and a lie. I'm alive and well. I don't think that's true. I'm very upset to learn that something as big as someone apparently passing can be spread unverified, especially in our day and age of social media. Streak was hospitalised in South Africa in May with what friends said was colon and liver cancer. He was the first and currently the only Zimbabwean to have completed the double of 1,000 runs and 100 wickets in tests and also the 2,000 runs, 200 wickets double in one-day internationals. Uh, Number two, the ultimate dream. The Hawks Bay Today paper reckons Test Cricket and Hastings has moved a step closer this week. Hamish Bidwell reported that CD officially cut the ribbon on its new indoor grass and AstroTurf training facilities, but the ultimate dream remains a playing oval for Test Cricket. CDCA Chief Executive Lance Hamilton, bearer of 212 first-class cricket scalps, said... You've got a dream big. Five years ago, I wouldn't have said I'd be standing here right now in these two amazing facilities when I was having meetings in the car park and working out of a porter cabin. There'll be water to go under the bridge, not least between the Central District's Cricket Association and Napier City Council. But for now, Hamilton is reveling in the facilities that he says are a far cry from his days when he opened the bowling for the Stags. I recall training in Faraday Street in Napier in what was pretty much a concrete bunker we had to put a dollar in the coin slot to get the lights to come on, and we trained on a mat that rolled out on a concrete pad, he said. And number three, in a bit more grounds chat, cricket officials have come out swinging their eggplants over the decision to exclude stand-up urinals from a multi-million dollar redevelopment at Perth's Wacker Ground. The plan will leave the northern half of the ground where most of the work is happening with only cubicles in the bathrooms, unlike most sporting grounds, which have communal urinals. 
West Australian Cricket Association board member Paul Collins was in disbelief when he found out. And uh, the Western Australian Cricket Association Chief Executive Christina Matthews said the move was about inclusivity, flexibility and hygiene. I do hear there's a lot of splashing and it's not the most hygienic environment, she said. So we've decided to go with cubicles. The good news for Mr Collins is that men's urinals will remain on the southern side of the WACA. The revamped home is uh, will house uh, between 10 and 15,000 spectators when finished. And it's meant to be all wrapped up by 2025. Right. There we go, boys. Who's, is it me this time? No, it's me. No. I know it. Yes. No, I know no, it. No, no, you started the last Yeah, one. I know it. And I, I know you've cheated. I, how have I cheated? <laughs> You and Paul have colluded. We have not colluded. Well, if you get it right, then I know you've colluded. Oh, I mean, excuse me, because just I call get it, it right. Should we just call it Jace's and not have to get into it? I mean, I think questioning people's integrity like this is despicable. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Because what I was going to go... Well, look, he's look at the accusatory look on his face there. What story it's, are you going with? I'm going one. Yeah, it is story one. You're great. Um, and I just had a quick Google... And I don't believe Heath Streak is 51. I think he's 49. You're correct. He was born in 1974. There you go, Jace. <laughs> Dylan, what did you think? What are you going with, Dylan? Heath Streak was born in 1974. He's definitely 49. Bulawayo, Bulawayo, I think. Mm. Yes. What, what are you well going done, with? Jason Hoyt. Thanks, mate. Mm. Are you not going to give an answer, Dylan? That is my answer. Hitch right, him. okay. Yeah. Heath Streak is 49. That is you disgraceful. To, do you want to drive it over? I'll tell or, you what. I'll tell you what. I mean, period, how are you going to get it to me? People have actually faced charges in the court of law for this sort of thing. Because um, you'll, you'll need to let me know when you're going to ship it over there. Because uh, I know that you're very you, you're very attached to it. I'm not sure whether it's you or Paul that's the sully malik of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. <laughs> Deary, deary me. One of you, Sully, one of you, Salmon Butt. Now, look, you, well, if you're going to talk about my good friend Muhammad Azaruddin like that, uh, Dylan Cleaver, I will. Goodness uh, me. Hey, well, it's probably a good good opportunity now to get into Cricket Violence Corner then, if this is the sort of carry-on we're going to get. Paul Ford's Cricket Violence Corner. It's deeply appropriate after that little exchange too because uh, there's it's not so much violence but uh, a little bit of fraud as a cricketer's been arrested for faking his age during a trial of the Maharashtra Cricket Association's under-19 team. According to the Times of India, Baramati City Police arrested Amol Kolpe on Saturday in what has been described as an underage age-fudging case. Kolpe was sent into custody for 14 days, having been found to have misrepresented his age during the MCA's under-19 Invitational League matches in January. He provided documentation indicating his birth date was September 2007, but an investigation found he was actually born in February 1999, meaning he was 24 at the trial rather than 16. Now, this is quite reminiscent of Shahid Afridi, who at one stage announced on Twitter that it, it was his 44th birthday, but Crick Info reckoned he was 41, and his very own autobiography <laughs> reckoned he would have been turning 46. Good stuff. Now... We're going to go into New Zealand all-time hot cricketer uh, Test 11. I went worldwide, okay. not New Zealand. Um, well, not yeah, certainly there were going to be some New Zealanders in it, but, um, you know, because I was thinking of the likes of 
you know, obviously all-time hot cricketer ever, you, mm. your skipper and first selection would have to be Imran Khan, Imran surely. Khan, yeah. You know, the greatest lover of all time. Um, you didn't but, say Shane Watson. I didn't think you were going to, but just for a moment. I think Ian Healy's pretty hot too. Um, but <laughs> here's the names we've, we've co- you guys have come up with. Will Young and Stephen Fleming opening. Well, interestingly enough, opening is a historically ugly position. Yes. So we've kind of had to move a couple of good-looking middle-order players into roles they might not be that happy with. Yes. Uh, I have no problems with either of those guys, both good-looking men, Paul Ford. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a couple of uh, reserves for you, well, one reserve for you actually, which is George, not a sex worker, who's a very incredibly hot. And I think he used to be a farmer's model. Didn't play a chess um, though, did he? Devastatingly handsome. Oh no, I've just gone for cricketers. I haven't yeah. gone for any sort of uh, qualification. In the middle order: Jeff Howarth, Martin Crow, and Kane Williamson, all good-looking men. Yeah, it, Jeff. Jeff was a dasher. He was a dasher, very uh, urbane and elegant. Yes, wasn't he? Uh, Martin, more of a poser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Great bod, yeah. And Kane, kind yeah. of, kind of in the sort of Howarth mould a little bit, just a, a classy kind of dude. Yeah, the ultimate sex symbol, really. Yes, heavily bearded. I, I, I don't know whether he's a middle order. He maybe he's in. Oh no, he'd be in the all rounder. Sorry, I've kind of jumped the gun here. But I see one name that's not on the list would be Corey Anderson. I think worth considering. Oh yeah, Corey. Mm. Good point, mate. Sparkling blue eyes. Yeah, good looking man. And in terms of the all rounders, Chris Kens. Well, you, yeah, you're kind of barely. Rugged-looking character. And uh, Reese Young. Reese Young, the wicketkeeper? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. guy, Reese Young. Yep. Very handsome man. Bowlers, Sodi, Salvi and Henry. Probably got one too few there. We probably need to find a room for Shane O'Connor, maybe. I also think um, Shane Bond is worth consideration. And also Lockie Ferguson. There's a bit about, there's a bit about Lockie Ferguson. And one more that to just throw into the middle orders that I just – just came to mind would be the Jav Grant Elliott. He's a very handsome man too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Milne isn't a bad-looking fella either. No. He's a good-looking man. Um, Tim Southey, well, okay. Uh, Matt Henry, definitely. He's Sody. Yeah, yeah, good-looking fella. Mm. But we'd love to know what your um, New Zealand all-time hot cricketer Test 11 is, and if they want to send that in to us, Paul, what do they do? Flick us, flick us an email through to byc at beigebrigade.co.nz or slide into our DMs on uh, for the Beige Brigade or the Alternative Commentary Collective on Facebook or the Gram. I'm still interested, actually, uh, about some of your international selections other than Imran. Oh, well, I, I definitely went Chris Wokes. Chris Wokes, yeah. Because I, you if, if I'm looking at um, the ultimate-looking cricketer, how I'd like my cricketer to look, he's the full package for me, good-looking guy. In terms of raw masculinity and alpha kind of power, Viv Richards, you know, just just for his manliness. His presence. His presence, you know what his I mean? Ar- his aroma. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, his aroma. Why not? Great stuff. Uh, hey. also, what about the rat Virat Kohli? Something oh, he's a good about dude. him. And, and I think Alistair Cook's got a little bit of uh, – Je ne sais quoi as well. Well, he was a former, um, what do you call those people that dress in cloaks and go to church? Uh, Choir boy, former choir boy. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, good stuff. Could have been anything really, couldn't it? Oh, hey. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with it. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Um, let's hope the uh, boys get off to a good start against the English. Um, we'll be talking about that, obviously, next week. What's going on in the bounce, Dylan Cleaver? Uh, the bounce is gearing up for the two World Cups, rugby and cricket. It's going to be a huge couple of months. So, um, yeah, Google Dylan Cleaver, the bounce, sign up. Love to have you along. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, also, incidentally, that interview that we did with Scott, uh, that's going to be playing separately from the podcast, so make sure you keep an ear out for that. It's an absolute doozy.